0: I really believed that there were fairies that lived under our shed and uh, so it was kind of like magical for me when I was little and I think that's kind of where it all began. Of course I grew up and found out the reason why I wasn't allowed in the shed was because my dad was brewing beer, (laughs) 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 not because there were fairies.
1: That was Ellen Mary who joins us on the podcast today. We had a great chat. She was uh, relaxing on her sofa as we talked all things plants and and her life in gardening and horticulture. And she also mentions she does a podcast as well, which uh, we have a chat about. Um, and that's well worth checking out a really good podcast, um, one that anyone's interested in gardening at all, definitely worth a good listen. Now, it's Thursday today. It is the Thursday before Chelsea. Yesterday, I was up in London setting up the stand, um, which seems very, very early, um, and even seems early to us, to be honest. Um, but we wanted the plants to settle um, and a bit of preparation doesn't go amiss. Um, so a lot of the plants, I would have said about 95% of the plants are in the stand now. Uh, my dad's up there today putting labels in. every Everything on a RHS stand has to be labelled specifically. Um, and you have to label in a very particular type of way. Um, we use a black black label with white writing on believe it or not that is that is what they're looking for Um, and it has to be labelled for each one so everyone knows what they're looking at really Um, so the display is looking really really nice Um, the plants when you put them in a display they take a little while to settle same as they would in in anyone's garden it's obviously slightly different to to genuine gardening because plants are a little bit closer than you'd ever plant them normally Um, but yeah it's, it's looking really really nice we're really pleased with it i'll be going up there Tomorrow I'll be going up on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and we're being judged on Monday, early Monday morning. Um, so check out our social media and things like that. You'll be able to see how we did uh, medal-wise. Uh, we'll definitely be sharing um, how we how we got on. Um, and if you're going up to Chelsea, obviously come and say hello. It'd be really, really nice to to meet you. Um, and yeah, make your way through what is bound to be big crowds. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll obviously mention on the podcast uh, next next week's podcast uh, how we got on as well. Um, so yeah, make sure you, you check it out. Um, so without further ado, let's start the podcast with Ellen Mary.
0: Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them with your host, Alan Lodge.
1: So welcome to the podcast, Ellen Mary.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank
1: Looking you Looking forward much. to
0: talking about plants and gardening.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you for joining us. You've had a, a busy, busy day doing talks already.
0: I have, yes. I went and provided a talk about nature and plants or well-being at a local company. So that was really good fun. And then rushed back to talk to you. But so it's that time of year, isn't it?
1: It is that time of year and actually the sun's shining, um certainly here there's a there's a nice lot of sunshine coming through the window. So I hope it's the same with you. You're in Norfolk, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I'm in Norfolk. The sun is shining today. We've had a bit of cold weather recently, but um it's nice and warm. I'm actually sitting in my lounge with my feet up and I've got a door open slightly so a nice breeze. It's actually really nice and relaxing. So all good. Springtime is here.
1: Brilliant. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got into uh, being so keen on plants.
0: Well, it, yeah, that goes all the way back to when I was tiny. Um, my parents had a kitchen garden, and so we had quite a big garden. We were very lucky. And at the end of the garden, there was a big blue shed that I wasn't allowed in. And um, in front of that was a load of stuff growing. So I can always remember there being an abundance of gooseberries and peas. And I think I was probably the only child that actually liked gooseberries because most children eat a gooseberry, don't they? And it's that mm. really sour taste. It's like, oh no, I used to love that. We used to go and pick the gooseberries and, um, I used to hide amongst the peas and take the peas from their pods. And, um, my parents used to get really cross because I would eat them before they were being harvested. <laughs> but that's when they taste the best. This <laughs> is they true. Really... Yeah, they do, don't they?
1: Yeah. I really
0: believed that there were fairies that lived under our shed. And uh so it was kind of like magical for me when I was little. And I think that's kind of where it all began. Of course, I grew up and found out the reason why I wasn't allowed in the shed was because my dad was brewing beer.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not because there were fairies. And um my uncle was also into gardening and he had a really long garden at the back of his uh, old council house. And at the end, he used to grow all of his vegetables, and he was an organic gardener. And so I learned quite a lot from him as I was growing up. And he, at the front of the garden, it was very formal, and all his borders were packed full of marigolds. And I don't know why I never asked then. Maybe I did, but I can't remember. But I always remember looking out and thinking, there's all these lovely plants that you see around and about. Why are there, why are there only marigolds? Mm. Only plants, orange marigolds. Um, and I kind of thought about that for years and years and years and then of course I found out that there was masses of them because they're great companion plants and he was an organic gardener so he was using the marigolds not just to eat but also um, to uh, you know it, mm. to, to keep aphids and stuff away from his lovely crops so I've kind of grown up with it and I've, you know my mum loves gardening my stepdad has an allotment I shared one with him a few years ago as well so I've just learnt so much you know throughout the years mm. of as time has gone on, and then it wasn't very cool to be a gardener when I was a teenager. So, I don't, I don't think I really spoke about it much. But it never stopped. You know, my love of plants carried on. And um, the sad thing I think about it, and I, I, I hope there's a shift in that, is that in in careers at school, gardening or horticulture was never an option. It was never discussed. Um, and I think that that's sad because horticulture is a huge industry, isn't it? Mm. Um, there's so much you could do, you know, from marketing, you know, owning nurseries and um business management. It's just so there's just so much and media like what I do and all sorts. So it was never really an option and I kind of fell into HR. So I chose people over plants. <laughs> <laughs> How did I do that? I don't know. <laughs> and um I worked very hard in HR and um, I enjoyed it mostly, but there were days that were pretty tough. And I would go in my garden or down my allotment, you know, to relax and chill out and get over some of the tough things that happened in the office. And um it kind of all went from there. And I got to about 30. And I just thought, you know what? Life is way too short to be doing something you don't really love. Mm. You know, something that's not your passion. And my passion was still plants. So I took some RHS certificates and uh I... Gradually left my job. So I went to part time. I was doing some maintenance gardening and then I quit my job. And I've been, you know, involved in the gardening industry ever since. So yeah, that's kind of how it's worked. And it's funny how things turn out, I think, because I now most of what I do is promoting the well being benefits of of gardening and nature and connecting with nature and being outdoors. Mm. And when I was at college, I um, I was studying English, media, and biology, and I left college because I just wanted to go and work. But actually, now what I'm doing is loads of writing, lots of media, all about plants. So it's kind of come all the way back around. So I'm kind of doing what I think what I wanted to do all the way back then, and just doing it now. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting.
1: And when you say um, you're promoting the well-being of plants, are we talking uh, from an edible point of view or from a, a psychological point of view?
0: Yeah, both really. I think it's sort of like the whole holistic approach to incorporating plants and nature into our very busy lives, you know, to benefit us and to benefit obviously the planet as a whole. So, you know, I uh, my talks are often about growing your own food and um, eating a plant-based diet, like all my talks can be about growing food for medicinal purposes. Um, you know, it's just kind of I, to me, all all plants are brilliant for us in one way or another, or for mm. the planet. So it's sort of looking at the holistic approach to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just it,
0: trying to involve plants in our daily lives in how, in, in whatever way we can.
1: Mm. And I find it quite interesting how. Um, often approaching that from an an edible point of view is one yeah. of the easiest ways for people to actually suddenly grasp it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a way of connecting, isn't it? Mm. Because, you know, we eat plants, I mean, we buy our fruit. Um, and so many people, especially children, don't know that an apple comes from an apple tree, mm. or a potato is grown, you know, under the soil. And I think if you, if we, we talk about growing our own, it's, it's the whole process. So you're sowing a seed, you know, potting it on, thinning it out, potting it on, planting it, watching it grow, and then actually getting something from it, you know, you produce that you're eating, you're tasting, and you think, Oh, I grew that. So it's understanding that whole process. And I think we connect with that much easier in our minds. Mm. Um, so yeah, talking about growing your own is, it's really important just understanding the food process. Yeah. People definitely connect with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, we found an interesting trend. I've mentioned it on the podcast before um, when we started uh, growing chilies in a big way, in as much as quite a lot of people who grow chilies are early 20 guys. Um, yeah. And that's, you'll know yourself, that's quite rare in horticulture.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? definitely um well, i think it's because you can grow chilies on a nice warm windowsill can't you mm. or you can grow them you know outside in a greenhouse or in a grow house or something like that um relatively easy to grow mm. would you say I, do you top I... your chilies i'm gonna ask you that do you top your chilies no do you cut them off you don't
1: no mm-hmm. um the there's a couple of, uh, there's Bacatums, uh, which tend to be from, uh, oh, i all of them really are from South America, but they tend to be a particular type of chilli. Often they've got fruity type names to them, like lemon drop and things like that. Right, okay. Those, if you overwinter them, benefit from it. Um, right. But we've trialled actually taken the tips out we've tried well, we've tried anything you think you could do to a chili we've probably tried
0: <laughs> you've tried it <laughs> yeah
1: exactly including grain standard chilies um, mm-hmm. which uh, was an interesting thing and they just looked horrible to be honest but but oh. yeah they did what they did um, but yeah we never really seen saw a massive benefit but having said that you get some varieties that don't crop a huge amount which aren't great beginners ones now maybe we should be more selective about which ones you should take the tips out of because that will probably bush out and you get more fruit.
0: Uh, It's interesting because I just saw something on Instagram the other day um, where um, someone was saying, you know, about topping the chilies. I've never done that actually myself. Mm. Anyway, there you go. I wondered. But yeah, growing chilies that's Mm. great. You know, growing herbs and that kind of thing is is a brilliant way to get into growing your own.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Microgreens as well. Microgreens, they're amazing. Brilliant.
1: It's an interesting thing, actually, because I would class myself, other than when, um, so where I'm I'm talking to you from now, I'm on the house and I'm probably uh, around about 100 metres from our first greenhouse. I can't see it because there's a big shed in the way, but about that distance. But in yeah. the house, I'd say I'm quite a bad gardener and... I don't know whether that's often the case uh, with a lot of people who own nurseries, but <laughs> once once I'm out there, I'm fine and I know exactly what I'm doing. And, and to be fair, in the house, I obviously know what I'm doing, but we don't grow that many plants in the house, whether it's yeah. just because I've got that contact. So I always find it a little bit tricky advising people for house plants from time to time. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's fair enough. I think, I think it's Perhaps you're so busy doing what you're doing, aren't you, with your Mm. chilies and your herbs and in your nursing. You are connecting with plants Mm. all of the time, every day. So maybe you just need a break when you get home.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure I want to go as far as going into HR, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that wasn't the wisest break to take. But (laughs) (laughs) Houseplants are amazing. Houseplants are brilliant. You know, they're just so good for us. They're not just you know aesthetically pleasing and they soften the room, but they have so many well-being benefits as well. You know, cleansing the air of all those um, common toxins that we have. Mm. Um, and there's, like we talk about the younger generation, but I think houseplants are definitely taken on with all generations. To be honest, mm. and that's great because it's seen as a bit of a trend. But if that gets people, you know, talking about plants and interested in plants, and then maybe that um kind of hobby will then expand to the garden or that's all good. That's great. Why not? Um I'm addicted to houseplants. <laughs> I have somewhere around about one hundred and thirty ish. Really? That was at the last count. I do not count. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's um that's you going out collecting or is a bit of propagation going on there? What well, how's that come about? A
0: little a little bit of both. So um I had quite a lot of plants in our old house. And we moved into the city last year and all my plants came with us, but they struggled a bit because the environment is completely different. Our new house is very dry and warm. The old house was a little bit more humid, a little bit cooler. And um, a lot of my plants really, really struggled. And so I, I don't know. I kind of got the bug, I suppose, and I just really wanted them all to live. So I done loads of research. I kept moving things around and, you know, sorting things out. And then in I and then as I was researching, I was finding plants that would suit, you know, this house perfectly well. So I went out and bought some. And um, yeah, the obsession kind of went from there. And then that moved on to propagation. Um, at Christmas time, I actually told my husband that I will not buy any more house plants <laughs> because I've got. So many that I could propagate literally hundreds. Of the last years, I think now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, is there a nursery in in the future? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I could probably have a nursery. My utility room is my little propagation area, and actually, at the, I, it was so full up of plants. I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here because I don't. I, I'm so addicted. I don't know where all of these will go. There's actually no room. So um, I took a box full of them to the talk today and gave them out to people on the talk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but houseplants are amazing. That's just one way is incorporating plants into your life, and mm. um, and that and that's great because it's good for you. You know, it's good for your environment and it's good for horticulture. So yeah, yeah, great.
1: definitely. And you've mentioned um, children a couple of times now, um, getting them into yeah. gardening and things like that. Yeah. Um, if there's, I mean, there will be there be people listening who maybe want to get their their kids um, doing a bit of gardening. Have you got any uh, good places to start that they could look at?
0: Yeah, well, I think it's so important. Firstly, to engage people, uh, children, with being outside. So we are very digitally connected, aren't we? And that's fine. We do that. It's just we need a balance and. My love of plants started when I was a child and I think, you know, that even if I had stopped between childhood and when I was a bit older, I think that love would still have been there, it would have come back. Mm. You know, maybe if I'd bought my first house and had a garden, that kind of thing. Mm. So it is really important to engage children. And obviously the standard kind of start to get into gardening thing of growing sunflowers, tomatoes, that kind of thing. But I am... visited a urban jungle kind of nursery and I was talking to the owner there and she said actually why not get children looking at and being involved in kind of quite different plants so kind of funky mm. weird wacky plants because that can really stir their imagination so I can always remember when I was young having like a venus fly cat trap you know because they're just amazing to look at when they catch the flies but even things like banana trees banana plants and yeah. You know big like just big kind of that that, that I think quite is quite interesting to children mm. um, but also obviously growing something that produces something at the end is is key for a child so even things like nasturtiums because mm. of course you can eat the leaves and um the flowers so that's a lovely one to grow very easy as well. um I always you can get kind of very small raised beds. Just if you don't want your garden to be completely taken over by your children, you could perhaps have just one small raised bed and just let them grow things that they pick.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, Preferably something that's edible because that's teaching them the process. Um, Yeah, just start off small and see how it goes. Of course, having sunflower competitions, if you've got siblings who can grow the highest, Hmm. tallest sunflower, that kind of thing. You know, just just doing some fun stuff like that make it make building bug houses hmm. and bird houses and um, you know and let them get their hands in the soil and turn over stones and see what bugs are underneath them you know all of those kind of things just being outdoors so important
1: yeah definitely and actually in my experience um children really really like extremes uh, and the yeah. example i've got is that my my daughter um she comes out and picks the chilies with me. Um, wow. So we we crop for a lot of fruit and, and stuff like that to do our own breeding and things like that. Yeah. But generally speaking, I always have a Sunday off. Um, so during the picking season, she always wants to go out and pick chilies. but mm-hmm. she only ever wants to pick the ridiculously hot ones. <laughs> now that's partly so she can see her dad in pain. <laughs> um, but it's interesting how... I know that she's gone to school and told her friends that um, just from what other parents have said and stuff like that. And it's just that little bit of added extra interest um, as opposed to a a standard plant. Um, And you could definitely do that with something that looks like something else. Or or lemon verbena is another one she really likes because it smells so much of lemon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I always think it's got to be something that has a fragrance or a beautiful flower, something a little bit different, something that can be eaten. You know, it's sort of kind of got to have this end goal, if you like, for them.
2: Mm. Um, but
0: something weird and wacky is always great. You know, just capture their imagination a little bit, definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely. And um, you mentioned you moved into into the city. Does that mean your garden has got smaller?
0: Yeah, it has got smaller. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> I moved from a a, um, a cottage with had a a big garden, and we were in the countryside, but very close to the coast, and we'd been there 11 years, so it was quite well established, and I'd started from scratch when we first moved there, and I loved it very much. Mm. Um, But we needed to move into the city for work, really, and I thought, it's okay, a smaller garden will be fine. I'm very, very busy, and actually, it just provides a new challenge. So I often talk about growing in small spaces. And I've written loads of articles about growing in small spaces. But actually doing it myself now, um, I'm really having to put my words into practice. (laughs) And it can be really tough. It's actually really hard. So the majority is in uh, containers now. So I did um, divide and propagate a fair amount of plants in my old garden. So I could bring some with me. Um, And I've got a raised bed. But um, the challenge of growing in a small garden is vastly more (laughs) extreme than I had anticipated. (laughs) So obviously just looking at kind of all the vertical spaces, you know, the fences and the walls and, you know, what can I squeeze in here or what will grow in at complete deep shade? Um, But what I have found is we're in a sun trap. And... um, the, the soil temperature has never gone down very low at all. Um, I've got banana plant growing. I've oh, really? got lilies that are almost in bloom already. Um, it's like, it's it, so I think I can now experiment. So we've been here a year and I always think whenever you move out, you should see all seasons in your new garden so that you can, you know, learn what's there, what's already coming up, mm. you know, think about the temperature, how well shaded it is or how it, all of those kind of things, and I've done that now, and so I think I'm going to go a bit tropical
1: nice, very nice, hmm. and actually, um yeah. the one thing about tropical gardens, I think probably suit themselves to a slightly smaller space because they almost suit themselves to being a bit overgrown is if that's the right word
0: yeah, yeah yeah, I completely agree with that, yeah. I, th- I think so too, and I think it lo- they can look quite lovely. I've been obviously on Pinterest and Instagram looking at a <laughs> load of photographs because I know that that's a in itself. <laughs> and um, you know, I've moved from a very English cottage garden, and um, so I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. But I think I'm there. I think we're going to go. Think we're going to go tropical. The only thing is, a few weeks back, I found some vine weevil. and wow. uh, almost yeah, you know, I did cry. I'm going to say almost, but I did cry but we've had a good application of nematodes and I'll keep that up, so I think we're on track. Um But yeah, so yeah, a new challenge, but that's all good, isn't it? Because you learn as you go along with the garden.
1: Definitely, without a doubt. And actually, it's, it's quite interesting because you don't often get to to ask this sort of question. You've gone from a larger gardener as, as quite a keen gardener to a small garden, um, yeah. which normally it's the other way round. Which would, yeah. one would you say is the most challenging?
0: Um. Both um, they both come with challenges. they both come with challenges. I'm going to go with the small garden. Right. I'm going to go with the smaller garden. Yeah. Mm. Especially as a keen gardener, because there's so many plants and so much, so many things that you want to do, that you are confined to a much smaller space. So you have to really think, you know, about the design and the space and what you can use and think of kind of more innovative approaches, if you like, to making it a certain style or theme in a small garden if you have lots of different plants it kind of looks a bit odd but mm. in a big garden you can get away with that
1: yeah yeah
0: you know so i'm going to go with the small garden the small gar- garden has been a challenge yeah definitely <laughs> yeah
1: and i think it's i think it's interesting because i think the majority of people especially if you haven't done it um, would assume the larger garden's going to be going to be harder but i think i'd agree with you
0: yeah, I mean, a larger garden, obviously, there may be more maintenance in respect of lawns and, mm. you know, border edging and pathways and all of those kind of things, patios. Um, but a, a smaller garden just comes with many other different challenges that you maybe not be quite prepared
2: for. Yeah, quite. <laughs>
0: you know, <laughs> and uh, growing in containers in a, in what's proven to be a sun trap, it, I mean, the soil dries out in ultra quick speed. So, it's you know, constant watering, but I'm very where, you know, I, I want to save my water. So, you know, thinking about ways to have um, water butts or, or water collection, but in a very small space. So there's all these other challenges. And I love wildlife. I want the wildlife to come into my garden. But then you have to be thinking about planting all of the right things in order to do that because we're in the middle of the city. So, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge. Mm. And every time I see a new bird or some bees, I get so excited. <laughs> Whereas
1: in the country garden, of course, they were everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's good fun though.
2: Yeah, def- wiggles, obviously. Yeah, this uh, <laughs> that's never
1: good, is it? Um, no. <laughs> thankfully, certainly in the garden, we've never had that. In fact, actually, we've never had it on the nursery, which is amazing. Really. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah, really amazing. I know nurseries really, really suffer with it. But you mentioned nematodes there. Um, just quickly go over what they are to to people.
0: So nematodes are a tiny, tiny little microorganism. They're alive, but you don't know they're alive. So they come in a little pack, and it looks like flour. Um, the floury substance—I'm not sure what it is—is is that that's not the microorganism. They're the microorganisms are inside that flower because you you can't see them. You would need an incredibly hmm. high spec, uh, uh, you know, magnifying glass to see yeah. them. Um, and you apply them in water so you mix them into water and then apply them to your pots or your garden and they sink down into the soil and the slugs um, the vine weevil eats them and then um, dies underneath the hmm. soil so you don't see all of that horrible thing happening um, they, they don't um, affect the adult vine weevil so I think later spring early summer you may need um, adult vine weevil traps that you can just hang Mm. around your plants to capture them as well. But generally, due to the life cycle it does, the nematodes do keep them under control. I actually found the host plant. So I had bought a plant from the nursery and um, it was that that I saw the signs on where they kind of munch around the edges of the leaves. Yeah. Um, And I pulled it out of the pot and it was absolutely full. So I got rid of that. Mm. Um, But obviously, all the other pots needed to be treated. Um, because they are a bit prolific.
1: Yeah, they uh, are. But
0: nematodes are amazing. Yeah,
1: they're really, really good. Um, and I haven't got a clue what that white powder is either. Um, no,
0: I don't know what it is. It's just, it just looks like flour, doesn't it? But yeah. it's obviously not flour. But it's sort of how, how the nematodes are applied.
1: Yeah, and I know... Otherwise you
0: just wouldn't see them, would you? So you wouldn't know...
1: No, exactly.
0: ...what to do, yeah.
1: Um, and I know where to get them commercially, but where can people get them um, just on a on a general gardening scale?
0: yeah you can just uh, get them online there's a couple of places now that supply them you can get them from uh, many garden websites probably even amazon now <laughs> well <yeah>. i was <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> about to say i believe bet it will
1: be amazon as well but yeah
0: probably yeah there is a site called green gardener that right. sell all um green and organic and um good stuff for the garden to get rid of pests and to encourage wildlife and that's another thing with nematodes they are um, completely natural so they are safer pets and wildlife and children hmm. so they are they are really good and ideally you would want to be applying them once a month for a, a good few months I think probably over the summer to keep things under control hmm. so it can get a little bit expensive but it is worth it because it's either that or all of your plants yeah
1: <laughs> the vine weevil ones I don't know a huge amount about but you can certainly get some to water in um, into the lawns for other issues and stuff like that as well yeah
0: yeah and slugs as well so um nematodes are great for many different pests in the garden M- well worth looking up and using
1: yeah, yeah definitely so you're running an organic garden
0: yes absolutely my garden's organic and my allotment is as well mm. my allotment's actually veganic so um i'm i'm a vegan so i don't mm. use any animal products on my gar- on my allotment or garden at all so mm-hmm. um yeah no pesticides no manure and it's also no dig. So,
2: oh, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Gosh, sp- that's new for this year. N- no dig. I haven't done no dig before, so that's all new for me this year as well.
1: Have you spoken to Charles Dowdry about it?
0: I have his book, yep. and that's what got me started. See, mm. I, um, he was at the Garden Media Guild Awards in mm. November last year, and he'd won a category. I can't remember which one. Which one it was now. Um, for I think it was probably for his book. So, um. Well, afterwards, I came back and I um, I bought the book. And it's really good because it's all about the principles of no dig gardening and mm. um, also some recipes and other things in there as well. So it's Charles uh, Dowding and Stephanie Hafferty.
1: Yeah, I spoke um, to him um, in last week, actually. Um, really? Yeah, really, it's, it's really, really, really nice interesting. guy.
0: Really yeah. Lovely guy and so, so interesting. And it just kind of really runs to me that we want to let nature do what it does best actually. That's the principle of no dig, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
1: And
0: um so yeah, the allotment is no dig as well. So it'll be an interesting year of growing this year.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um that'd be that'd be quite interesting. I think actually it's also a message that resonates for for a busy lifestyle.
0: Oh uh- completely. When I read when I read about it, <laughs> the first thing I thought, oh, this A might save my back, <laughs> B might save some time. <laughs> but it was a bit strange, to be honest, at first when I applied a big layer of mulch across my whole allotment. I was just thinking, but I actually feel like I want to dig. Mm. You know, I've been digging for, I'm not going to tell you how long because i would give my age away, but <laughs> I've been digging for a really long time. Um, so you still feel like you want to dig, but um I've applied it all um There are no weeds; it's absolutely incredible uh apart, you know there's the odd one that's probably you know the seed blown in the wind and mm. found itself somewhere, but it it's really, very minimal and um I've been planting out. So, yeah, it's a time saver, it's a back saver, and we'll see how it goes.
1: Excellent. I'm sure there's an app you can get to simulate digging if you, you get that desperate.
0: <laughs> I know, because now I don't have a big garden either. Most of my garden's in containers, <laughs> and I have a no-dig allotment. There's no digging going on, but sometimes it's really good just to, you know, do a bit of shoveling and, mm. you know, turn over that soil. It's quite it's quite good. So I'm sure I'll find a patch down there where i
1: <laughs> he was saying, and I, I completely agree with him because as he was talking about I, I've never tried it, I have to be honest, other than I did admit that potentially I've done it by default a couple of times, um, yeah. but um, was that often the more experienced gardeners find it harder than someone who's new to gardening. And I could picture, as we were talking, my granddad, one of the, my first memories of gardening is my granddad teaching yeah. me to to actually dig with a fork. Which sounds yeah. silly, but when you're yeah. little, you you don't know how to do it. Um yeah. And I remember that my house, actually, where I'm sitting now, is on his old vegetable plot. Um, oh wow! So it's it's one of those things that I said. Although I want to give it a try, it feels like it's a tradition dying.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's completely true. I totally agree with you. That's how I felt. I was like, I layered all of his mulch across the allotment. Then I was kind of thinking. Well, where am I going to dig? Mm. Oh, but it's called no dig. Of course, I'm not going to dig anywhere. This is so strange. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's a lot of spade manufacturers that aren't very happy at the moment.
2: <laughs> yeah, completely.
0: But, you know, I think there's always, you know, there's always an opportunity to dig somewhere. So mm. I help out at community garden. sometimes. I could go dig there. And I might just leave a little bit of, of, you know, a little bit of space down the allotment where I've, I think I'll probably do some, um, Some planting for wildlife, and that will probably Mm. have a bit of a dig over. So there'll still be opportunity. Don't worry, space companies out there.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and some um some questions we ask absolutely everybody um yeah. and you've you've gone into it a fair few times actually but um when you first started getting into gardening or maybe when you when you went back to it after after the hr was there a particular <laughs> book or a or a person who really inspired you that that really got you got you going again oh my gosh,
0: that's a really good question um I never really stopped gardening, that's the thing. So even when I was working in HR, I was still always gardening. So my bookshelves are full of books. Like I've I've gardened for, since, literally since I was one, you know, mm. 40 years <laughs> <laughs> of gardening experience. So I have got masses of gardening books. I don't know that there was any one person that I could say, there's loads of people, Um, But I think something that did inspire me is actually the irony of this is that it was probably Instagram Mm. because it was just so nice to see so many other people doing what I do and loving what I do. So you can get all these books, but the books are written by the experts and they're brilliant and I love them. I love all garden books. But actually seeing other people like me you know, just mm. interested in in gardening. I I find that really inspiring.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so whilst
0: that's digital, and I'm always about you know getting outside and you know not constantly being online, I actually think that having that there has inspired a whole new generation of people.
1: Mm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I'd I'd go along with that, and actually, certainly a lot of people for house plants, Instagram's the first place they start seeing them.
0: Definitely. I think um, last time I looked, because I had to look for a talk I was doing, and it was a couple of months ago now. But there was something like one and a half million hashtag houseplant posts on Instagram. Really? I mean, that, that's incredible, isn't it? It you is not it yeah. So Yeah. Um, I never, I never left gardening. I've always done it. So I don't think there was a point where you know something happened or I saw someone and I was inspired immediately by that person. Mm. I think it was, it was always there. It was always happening. I think the social media side of it did, it, I find it quite inspiring, even now, still now.
1: Excellent, good. Yeah, when well, I have to say you, you're often liking our posts, so you're obviously looking from time yeah. to time.
0: <laughs> I do look from time to time every day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: no, sometimes there's something, I see a plant and I don't know what it is. or There was a tree all yeah. the other day. Um, and randomly, someone had posted it, and I said, that's the tree, that's it. You learn from it as well.
1: So, mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And when you're walking around, um, around your your smaller garden now, um, is, yeah. there, is there a particular tool or a bit of equipment you always have with you?
0: Um, is there a bit of equipment I always have? Or a bit with, of
1: well, tool or something I, like that. It's there obviously not teaching, a spade now.
0: Not a spade, so I have a hand trowel with me all of the time. I have a hand. I have so many hand towels. I have them one in my utility room. I have got quite a few in my car, which acts as my shed a lot, and um, I have them in my greenhouse. So I always have a hand trowel at, at every opportunity. I only have to like reach a few meters, and there's one there. <laughs> I actually always have gardening gloves. Right. I have them in my pocket all of the time, even if they're filthy. I have gardening gloves, um, and people often say to me, "How do you keep your hands, you know, looking okay-ish hmm. or my nails painted?" and I said it's, it's just I wear garden gloves a lot so I want to touch the soil and I do that frequently but I have gloves most of the time yeah
1: well I have to say I don't very I very rarely wear gardening gloves but then I'm looking at my hands and you can tell <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are some days where I want nothing more than to chuck off my garden gloves and I do and I am in the soil and I love getting my hands dirty. I love it. Mm. Um, but I don't want to do that every day, all day. I would like to preserve some nails. So I do wear gloves.
2: <laughs> Excellent.
1: Um, and obviously you've been gardening a lot, like you said, for, for quite a period of time now. Um, and obviously there's been loads of successes and things like that. Can you think of anything, a notable failure you've ever had in gardening? A notable
0: failure? Failure. Okay, I'm going to think to my allotment because that's probably most. No, I can go all the way back to our first house. So the first house we bought, um, I, we had a front garden and a small back garden, and I really wanted the front of the house to look lovely.
2: Mm.
0: So um, we, I went to the garden centre. I bought tons of plants, planted them all up. They looked really pretty. All died in winter time couldn't understand why obviously they were annual <laughs> I had not considered that whatsoever even in my gardening experience I'm not joking I was so keen and I just wanted it to look lovely that that's what I'd done and I was in a big rush we were renovating the house put all of these plants out and then you know they all died that was that
1: easy to do very easy to do <laughs> Excellent. It was
0: stupid. It was so stupid, and I honestly could have kicked myself. But that's what happened. So we we all do it.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, without a doubt. Awesome. And it's it's quite interesting. It brings me to uh, something. When we're writing, because uh, all of our plants are sold online these days, other than yeah. flower shows and stuff like that. When we're writing descriptions, I have to recheck myself with <laughs> regards to the language we use because yeah, and. I don't want anyone to think anything by this, but I know some people don't know what perennial means or don't know what annual means.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, totally, 100%. And I think actually there's so many people that probably do do frequently what i done. You know, They do mm. it year after year because they still don't know. They think, oh, well, that just died because of something else. I'll go and plant it again. and It's an annual, and it, mm. it just doesn't work like that. It was a silly, silly mistake, and I should have known far better that in a big... Rush of excitement and doing what I'd done—that's what happened. But yeah, annual perennial thing. <laughs> <laughs> that will never happen again. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't say that out loud if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Okay, sorry.
0: <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, if it's it states annual perennial. And maybe a little explanation about what that means—that would be really useful to many people, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And i I think uh, i think the industry can be a bit. I'm not sure it's the right term, but can be a bit snobby about stuff like that. Um, it
0: is snobby about stuff like that. I'm. I don't mind saying that out loud. It is so snobby. <laughs> for somebody who's new to gardening, it it can be like learning a whole new language. Oh, definitely. You know, and not not least the Latin names. But there's so many different terms. And I mean, how would anybody know what a bi, you know, biannual is? Like seriously, you, they might not know that, you yeah. know, what is an annual that it lasts all year? Cause that's what someone could think, you know, because it's how yeah. they interpret it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it, and it, it's silly. I think we need to break it down because people, I think as time goes on, when people get into gardening, they learn the term. They pick up some Latin names maybe. You don't have to shove it in their faces. Mm. You know, they just read things and learn things and they work it out like many of us do. Um, but just to have that little helping hand at the beginning, minus the snobbery, you know, this is what it is. This is what it will do. Make it simple and easy and that will attract people to planting and, and gardening, you know. Just break it down a little bit, less of the snobbery
1: yeah definitely without a doubt and i think that's a, a good uh, a good time to actually thank you for for coming on the podcast and um if people want to find out um more about about you and where you are where can they find out more about you
0: yeah my website is um, ellenmarygardening.co.uk and i'm on instagram facebook and twitter all Ellen Mary gardening
1: and you've so- got your own podcast as well
0: yeah, fellow podcaster. More podcasts are better. More podcasts are better, I think, <laughs> to get word out there. I think we were saying that earlier on, weren't we? Um, yes, it's called the Plant Based Podcast, and uh, you can find it at theplantbasedpodcast.net. dot net. And that's um, a podcast I do with um, Michael Perry, who's known as Mr. Plant Geek, and we just talk about plants a lot, basically breaking it down and um, looking at how plants are incorporated in our daily lives. So yeah, all good.
1: Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, It's been really, really nice. It's been really interesting talking to you.
0: And you. Thank you very much for having me. As you know, I'm just happy to talk about plants. I can carry on all day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.